left off our story of Joshua in a bad spot. We left off with a terrible defeat. In fact, we left off with the death of an entire family because of one man's unwillingness to obey the word of the Lord. As we're looking at the book of Joshua, you notice that the, the people of Israel go in a cycle. We talked about this on Tuesday night in our Bible study. They would be blessed. They would be so blessed by God. But then sin would enter in, either pride or jealousy or anger or even just apathy would enter into their lives. Then what would happen is God would bring a judgment on them. When you get into sin, God has to bring judgment to bring you back into line. When something happens in your life, as I said last week, sometimes it's to get your attention and tell you to examine what's happening. Because when that happens, we repent. And when we repent and we apologize to the Lord, He restores us. That's what happened last week in Joshua chapter 7. Now today, we're talking about Joshua chapter 8. I call this rise up because the morning has come. You know, sometimes those dark nights of our souls when we lose a family member, when we have great sickness and suffering in the family, when someone we love is, is recovering from surgery and they're hurting and there's nothing that we can do, that is a dark night of the soul. It's a hard time to come through. But guess what? No matter what you're going through, the morning comes, the sun rises, and the day starts again. We go past the grief of the night, past the indecision, into the next morning. Look at Joshua chapter 8, verses 1 through 17 this morning. I want to look at what comes after the defeat of Ai, because after that defeat, God gives them another chance. Joshua 8, 1 through 17. We have a new day today, so we need a fresh plan. They had a plan. And it failed because they didn't do it God's way. But now it's a new day with a new plan. Take a look at this. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid or discouraged. Take the whole military force with you and go attack Ai. Look, I have handed over to you the king of Ai, his people, city, and land. Treat Ai and its king as you did Jericho and its king. You may plunder its spoil and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and the whole military force set out to attack Ai. Joshua selected 30,000 fighting men and sent them out at night. He commanded them, pay attention. Lie in ambush behind the city, not too far from it, and all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. When they come out against us as they did the first time, we will flee from them. So smart. So smart. They will come after us until we have drawn them away from the city, for they will say, they are fleeing from us as before. While we are fleeing from them, you are to come out of your ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God has handed it over to you. Underline that in your Bible or in your mind. Seize the city, for the Lord your God has handed it over to you. After taking the city, set it on fire, Follow the Lord's command. See that you do as I have ordered you. Let's stop there for just a moment. Really important. Go back and look. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Now, they have just killed Achan and his whole family. And they have burned them and they have erected a pile of rocks over the place of his defeat, his moral defeat, right? So that marker is right there in their presence. They see the pile of rocks over Achan's dead body. That's, that's going to be defeating to people. 
Sometimes funerals can be a defeat for those who are not in Christ. They see, oh, what does life mean? Look at this stone raised over this person's head. At one time, that person was 18. Then they were 28. They became a mother. And then they became a grandmother. And they did so many things, and now they're dead. Now they're gone. If you are not in Christ, the shortness of human life is depressing. It's sad. And it can make you feel defeated. It can make you feel like, why do I even try if I'm just going to wind up dead and lose the whole thing? This is why. Don't be afraid or discouraged. Now, remember before, Israel got very arrogant. They said, oh, let's just send 3,000 people. The city is so small. We don't have to wear everybody out. What does God say? Take the whole military force and go attack AI. God said, what you did last time, that was not my plan. This is my plan. Take everybody. Go hit the city. He says, because I've handed over to you the king of Ai, his people, city, and land. Whatever you face in day-to-day -day life, you do not do it alone if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Whether it is a surgery, whether it is death, whether it is a problem with a family member, whether you're worried about your daughter getting a new job that's a little bit dangerous, whatever you face in life, you do not face it alone. Do you understand that, church? Many of us take on the world and we think we have to do the whole thing. We can't do the whole thing. We have to rely upon the Lord to get it done. And that's why he says, take and set an ambush. Now, this is not the way they attacked Jericho, is it? No. This is not the way they attacked Ai the first time. They did it head on. Jericho, they walked around and God destroyed it. Ai the first time, they rushed in like impetuous young men, and they got beaten. This time it says, set an ambush behind the city. God is giving them wisdom. God is showing them how to do what they need to do. So Joshua sends 30,000 men to lay in wait behind the city, not at the gates, but behind the city. He says, now you guys pay attention. This is important. Pay attention means what? Stay awake. Sometimes when you're waiting for something to happen in your life, you get sleepy. You say, oh, nothing's going to happen right now. I can just take it easy. I can relax. I can wait until God does something huge, something big. Why does Joshua tell 30,000 trained fighters to stay awake? Because as they go out in the middle of the night to lay there, it will be very easy to think, oh, I can rest my eyes until I hear the sound of battle. Then I'll wake up. You ever notice what happens when you wake up first thing in the morning, if you wake up a little too early? Can you get up and think clearly? No. Can you get up and move quickly? No, because you're kind of sleepy, you're kind of groggy. Spiritually, you can become sleepy in your life. You can think, oh, everything is going good for me now, I can just relax and take it easy, nothing bad's gonna happen to me. And that's usually when something happens quickly and you can't correct it. You guys ever watch somebody sleeping behind the wheel of a car? Like you get behind somebody on the road and you see their car, do I'm not naming no names, and the car starts doing this, no, not me. Okay, the car starts doing this, and look, look, they're in this lane, then they're in this lane. Why are they driving on the side of the road? Then they're back in the middle again. That's what happens when we get sleepy behind the wheel. Here's the thing. As Christians, we live our lives sleepily. 
We go through every day not thinking that the devil's after us, not thinking that there's spiritual challenges and temptations. If you are a young person, or, or, or a wife separated from her husband, or whatever, my wife's up there somewhere in the godless lands of New Jersey. Hopefully she's spiritually awake, you know? Because, you know, temptation can jump up and bite you when you're not looking for it. And it may not be the type of temptation you're thinking of. You might have just gotten a raise at work, and you're thinking, you know what? That purse looks really nice. And it would look really nice on me. Guys, this is you too. Ooh, new fishing reel. Ooh, new car. Ooh, new whatever, you know. Some guys are into watches and things like that, so... Whatever it is that temptation looks like, it's going to jump up and bite you if you don't stay awake. So he tells them, you're going to lay in wait for us to do what we have to do. But you have to stay awake. You have to pay attention to what's happening. That's God's plan for how to take the city of Ai. He's given them the city. He's given them victory. But they have to stay awake for it. That's so important. Now, when they come out against us, as they did the first time, we're going to pretend to run away. Very good battle strategy, by the way. This is a very good battle strategy for its day and time. You draw the enemy out, and you close him behind him, and you squish him like a bug. Very good strategy. Joshua was not a dumb man. God told him the right thing to do. Now this, it says, after, he says, when they are fleeing from us, well, they look at us, they think that we are fleeing, you are to come out of ambush and seize the city. Now notice, he doesn't say, when they chase us, you come up behind them and hit them. Right? He doesn't say that. What does he say? We're here. The enemy's here. They come out to attack us. And we go this way. Where do you go? In and take the city. Right? You know why? You know why you take the city? Because then they have nowhere to go. Because if all the fighting men go out, who's left in the city? The women and children. If you're an army, that's easy pickings. But it also cuts off your enemy from having anywhere to go back. You guys ever read that story about the person who had demons in them, and the demons got cast out, and then they cleaned, and they fixed their life up, and the demon goes wandering around the dry places. He says, wait a minute, why am I wandering out here? I have a perfectly good place to go back to in this person's life. So it says he goes back with seven demons worse than him, and they repossess the person, and the last condition of the man is worse than the first condition. Whenever you face temptation in your life, whenever you face sin, you can win a temporary victory through, self, you know, through self-concentration and self-will. You can say, I'm, I'm going to stop doing this and I'm going to stop doing that. And you think that your life is cleaned up. But here's the thing. If you clean up your life but you don't put something in its place, the demon's got a perfect place to come back to, right? What keeps the devil from taking control of a Christian? presence of the Holy Spirit. What keeps the demon from taking control of a religious person? Nothing. Because they clean up their life, they take pride in cleaning up their life, but they don't fill their life with Jesus Christ, so you get this great big gap ready for the devil to come right back in again. You see, they knew that if the soldiers came out for a fight and suddenly realized they were outnumbered, they could flee back into their city and hide. You guys ever have a sin that you can't get rid of? It might be a thought. It might be a thought that you think about somebody and it could be um, that you're frustrated with that person or you're angry at that person or you're envious of what they have or you're jealous of what they have. 
You ever have that kind of thought? We call those abiding sins. The word abiding sin conjures up the picture of a city with walls. Because the devil's going to build walls around that sin to make sure you don't get rid of it. He's going to make you ignore that sin. Oh, don't worry about that sin. It's a little bitty sin. It won't hurt you. But you see, the whole thing is, you've got to take the whole city and clean it out and wipe it out before it's gone from your life. If you leave anything in the city, that sin's going to come back on you again. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, we're talking about a physical battle here and a spiritual battle here. Why am I doing that? Because nobody here, as far as I know, is going to go take over any cities. Anybody here want to go take over Cary? I mean, not that you'd want to. I mean, it's a nice place, but why would you want to conquer Cary? Or why would you want to conquer Wake Forest? We don't take cities as Christians. We take control of what God has given us, which is ourselves. We hunt down those little cities of sin in our life, and we get rid of the devil, and we destroy his hiding place by confessing that sin and letting God look at it. Since when they come out to chase us, seize the city, for the Lord your God has handed it over. Did you guys recognize the title of the sermon? Rise up, the morning has come. It's an old song. For the sorrow will last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. I'm trading my sorrows. Remind anybody of a song? You know where that song comes from? It comes from Psalm 30, verses 4 and 5. If you guys could pull up Psalm 30, verses 4 and 5 on our screen for us. Uh, let me read it to you while it comes up. It says this, Psalm 30, verses 4 and 5. Sing praise to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You understand that? Sorrow may last for a period of time in your life. If you've gotten caught in sin, if you've gotten caught in some activity that God doesn't approve of, God may have to break down the walls of your sin. And that may bring you sadness, repentance. You may have to go through a period of being very unhappy with yourself in order to get to the other side. You go through the unhappiness to get to the morning, and in the morning the joy comes of being clean, of being right before the Lord, of being cleansed. That's what I see here. When they had to face Achan, that was the darkness of their night. When they had to kill Achan and his family and burn them and put those stones over them, that was a horrible, painful experience for the people of Israel. And for that night, they were in deep grief that one man could bring such destruction on Israel. But dads, whatever sin you keep in your heart, you're bringing destruction on your family. Ladies, same thing. Whatever you hide in your heart, hide in your mind, whatever secret little sin you put in the closet, get it out of the closet. Because if you don't, just like a tumor, it will spread and it will infect you and your spouse and your children and your family and your church. No sin remains to the person. It affects everybody. And that's why you have to go through that pain. You know, if, you've come, if you've ever gone through surgery, it hurts but it also cleanses it, it heals. It takes longer to heal. On the other side of the pain is, is wholeness and wellness. That's what keeps us going in the midst of surgery. Go back to the scriptures. Verse nine, so Joshua sent them out and they went to ambush to the ambush site and waited between Bethel and Ai, that's two large cities. Bethel is right behind Ai. 
It says this, to the west of Ai. But he spent that night with his troops. Joshua started early the next morning and mobilized them. Then he and the elders of Israel led the troops up to Ai. All those who were with him went up and approached the city, arriving opposite of Ai and camped to the north of it, with a valley between them and the city. Now Joshua took about 5,000 men and sent them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. Why would he send 5,000 of his men to a place not behind Ai, but between Ai and Bethel. Why would you do that? It's called cutting off reinforcements. See, we all surround ourselves with people that we like, yes? Just say yes. Unless you surround yourself with people you don't like, in which case we need to talk. That's very unhealthy. Okay, we surround ourselves with people that we like. Sometimes, guys, we surround ourselves with people who have the same problems that we have. Because they won't convict us of our problems if we don't convict them of their problems. I've yet to meet an alcoholic who loves to hang around with teetotalers. I have yet to meet a party girl who loves to hang around with nuns. Okay? It just, nice picture, huh? It just doesn't happen. Sinners don't surround themselves with saints because it makes them feel guilty. So sometimes, if you want to get away from a sin, a sin that besets, you need to cut yourself off from the people who are feeding your sin. He put 5,000 troops to make sure that Bethel could not send troops to help Ai. Because who's the next place they're going to they're tackle? <laughs> Bethel. That's the next one in line. So it says this. So they set him an ambush. The military force was stationed in this way, the main camp to the north of the city, and its rear guard to the west of the city. And that night Joshua went into the valley. When the king of Ai saw the Israelites, the men of the city hurried and went out early in the morning so that he and all his people could engage Israel in battle at a suitable place facing the Arabah. But he did not know that there was an ambush waiting for him behind the city. So you see, the king looks out. Oh, here's those Israelites again. They're going to try and attack me. Let's go get them, boys. We got them last time. Let's do it again. And this force doesn't look that much bigger. Because remember, 30,000 men are hiding here. 5,000 men are over there. It doesn't look like Joshua has that many people. So he figures this is going to be really easy. Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten back by them and fled toward the wilderness. Then all the troops of Ai were summoned to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel, who did not go out after Israel, leaving the city exposed while they pursued Israel. I want you to focus on that last statement. The last statement. Right there. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel, leaving the city what? Exposed. You know what the word exposed means? The word exposed means vulnerable. Vulnerable or open. Think about this. Guys, does it make sense to you? You have wives, you have children, you have livestock. You have a huge wall to hide behind. You've got a city that cannot be easily taken. Yet, when you see something that looks easy, you jump out, you leave your cover behind, and you go out there leaving not only yourself, but your city vulnerable. That's what we are in Christ when we get outside of our safe place. Guys, in the church, we're safe because all the things that we hear and talk about are of the Lord. 
When we go into the world, it's that much harder because the world's not going to talk about Jesus. The world is not going to talk about what you should do to honor God. The world's not going to talk about how you honor the Lord with your life. The world's going to give you other options. You know, when I said that, that Judy and Paul have a big challenge ahead of them, they do have a big challenge. You're going to a campus full of people who have left their parents for the first time in their life. Do you know what that's going to be like? Yes, you do, because you've been there. You know what that's going to be like. And it's not pretty. Freshmen do dumb things because the world puts out every temptation that it can think about. Now, here's the thing. If Judy and Paul are wise, they remain in a good church, surrounded by Christian people, staying in the Word every morning and every evening, reading their Bible, and being aware they're going to stay awake like the people in ambush. They're going to expect the world to attack them. And when the world attacks, they're going to see it, they're going to know it, and they're going to say no to it. But you see, the men of Ai were confident. This time they were too confident. Oh, look, here comes the Israelites again. Let's go out and squash them like bugs, just like last time. And that's exactly what Israel wanted them to do. And they left their city exposed. When you get outside of a place where Christians are, where Christians should be, you are exposed. You're like one of those celebrities who gets out of a car and forgets to wear enough clothing. You know, you're like one of those people that goes out into public, they get drunk, and they, they get upset when the media catches pictures of them acting like imbeciles. You ever wonder, why do stars get mad when the photographers take pictures of them drunk and stumbling and falling down? If you don't want people taking pictures of you drunk and falling down, don't get drunk and don't fall down, right? Don't leave yourself exposed to the criticism of others. Stay where you are safe, and that is exactly what they did not do. They got overconfident. They thought they could handle it. That's the mistake we all make when we leave behind the restraints of Christ and we start walking in the world thinking that we can handle it. We can't handle it. That's why God puts a wall of protection around us. That's why in Psalm 91, it talks about being in the strong tower of God's presence under the shadow of his mighty hand. That's our protection. That's where we need to be. But let's press on. Joshua 8, 18 through 29. So this is a brand new day. And we have a brand new, fresh plan. It's a different plan. It's not what they have done before. And sometimes we need to do something new that God is calling us to do. But look at Joshua 8. It's a new day, but it's a fresh victory. It's a fresh victory. Something new. A fresh plan for a fresh victory. Verse 18. Then the Lord said to Joshua, hold out your sword in your hand toward Ai. Remind you of anybody? Moses, maybe? Holding his staff over the Red Sea? Hold out your sword in your hand toward Ai, and I will hand the city over to you. So Joshua held out his sword toward it. When he held out his hand, the men in ambush rose quickly from their position. They ran, entered the city, captured it, and immediately set it on fire. Remember, they were to destroy this place. So if you're going to destroy it, don't prolong it. That's what Achan did. Achan looked at the sinful things, and he looked at them, and he thought about it, and the more he thought, the closer he got to taking them. 
These guys were not going to make the same mistake. They rushed in and burned the city. See, so they immediately set it on fire. The men of Ai turned and looked back, and the smoke from the city was rising to the sky. They could not escape in any direction, and the troops who had fled to the wilderness now became the pursuers. When Joshua and all Israel saw that the men in ambush had captured the city and that smoke was rising from it, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. The men in ambush came out of the city against them, and the men of Ai were trapped between the Israelite forces, some on the one side and some on the other. They struck them down until no survivor or fugitive remained. Why is that last line important? Why do I have it in red? When you get rid of sin in your life, you have to completely get rid of sin in your life. It's not enough to sin only once in a while. You have to eliminate it, no matter what that sin is, whether it's selfishness or jealousy or envy or rage or wrath or pettiness or bitterness or a bickering spirit. Whatever that sin is in your life, you have to completely get rid of it. The problem the Israelites had is they would, they would eliminate like 95% of the heathens. But they left the 5%. And if you leave 5% of a cancerous tumor, what happens to the cancerous tumor? It grows. And it grows quickly. It takes back over the land that it lost. Cancer has to be completely removed right down to the last little cell floating in your bloodstream. Or what? or it will come back from the one little cell. When we deal with sin in our lives, just like when they dealt with AI, they had to go after it completely, with passion. They had to eliminate it. When we know there's sin in our life, in our attitudes, in our actions, guys, we need to set upon that like you would set upon a turkey dinner. You know, you gotta devour that thing, destroy it, annihilate it. And not just be content to say, you know what? I only have a little gambling problem. I only have a little cursing problem. I only have a little gossiping problem or a little backbiting problem. Only a little bit. Not much. I don't have to worry about that. Yes, you do. You have to attack that problem in your life completely and wipe it out. No survivor, no fugitive remained. That's the kind of victory we all want over sin in our life. Maybe you've just come through the worst period in your life. The worst period of anything you could ever imagine. And you know what? Right now, you get a fresh start. It's a fresh day, a complete victory. Now, here's the thing about victories. Victories have to be maintained. Victories have to be maintained. Keep going. Verse 23. But they captured the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. Now, when you read that, instantly you get nervous. What are they supposed to do to the king? Kill him. When they bring him alive, you instantly get nervous because later another king named Saul will make this mistake, but he will not finish the job. When Israel had finished killing everyone living in Ai who had pursued them into open country, and when every last one of them had fallen by the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the sword. The total of those who fell that day, both men and women, was 12,000, all the people of Ai, everybody. Get every last remnant of that sin out. Now Joshua did not draw back his hand that was holding the sword until all the inhabitants of Ai were completely destroyed. That's important. If you look later, every time the hand of Joshua's up, they win. 
If his hand weakens, the tide turns against Israel. If you are going to deal with something in your life, church, you need to finish the job because if you weaken, the enemy will come back on you again. Whatever that sin is, whatever that problem is, it will come back to bite you if you do not finish the fight. Joshua was tired. You know, remember, Moses held out his arms, and he was so tired that Aaron and Hur had to hold his hands up so that his hands would not sink down and the battle would not be lost. Joshua held that sword out until every last Ai was destroyed. That took great determination on his part, great force of will, great faith, that if he kept his hand up, that Israel would win. Now, Israel plundered only the cattle and the spoil of that city for themselves. Why did God allow them to plunder the spoil and the captives this time? Why could they take the cattle and everything else? Well, because they're at war. And when you're at war, you expend resources. And if you don't gain resources, you run out of line. Just like in World War II, I think it was Rommel was taking his troops across Africa. And his supply lines got thinner and thinner. And what happened is the British cut his supply lines in half. And when you don't have gasoline for the tank, the tank stops. So for us, too, we need to make sure that we keep going and take what we need for ourselves. What do we need? Time with the Lord, time in prayer, time before the throne. That's what we need. Israel plundered only the cattle and spoil of that city for themselves according to the Lord's command that he had given Joshua. Joshua burned Ai and left a permanent ruin desolate to this day. Just like Jericho, they annihilated it and left it destroyed as a marker to all who would oppose God. So sometimes it's good to look back in our lives and see the things that we've conquered. And there needs to be a ruin in our past of the sinful life that we have left behind because it contrasts with the life that we're living today. He hung the body of the king on a tree until evening. Now be careful with this tree word. This is not a cross. This is not a crucifix like we see in the New Testament. You can thank the cross. Uh, you can thank the Romans for inventing the cross. This was a pike. This was a large wooden pole set in the ground, driven through the king's body, and his body hung on a spike in the ground so that his body could be seen as one who was defeated. Uh, Persians did something very similar with people's heads. So very common in the old days. It was just a marker. It said the king of Ai on a tree until evening, and at sunset Joshua commanded that they take his body down from the tree. They threw it down at the entrance of the city gate, and here we go again, and put a large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. Another marker. You got a marker in the middle of the Jordan. You got a marker at Gilgal. You've got another marker where Achan fell, and now you have a marker over the body of the king of Ai. These are all monuments to what? God's sovereignty, God's power. Every victory in your life is a marker not to your success, but God's success. When Judy graduated, that was a marker not just to her work and her parents' work, but to God's success in her life. Every success we have is a marker to God's goodness in his presence. Amen? Do we think that way about our lives? Do we think of our successes as a marker to God's success? Who gave us the ability to get through school? Who gave us the ability to get the jobs that we have? Who gave us the ability to find that perfect husband or that perfect wife? Who gave us that? God did. 
Who deserves the glory for it? God does. And a lot of times, if we don't mark the glory for God, it leads to pride in our own lives. So they put a large pile of rocks over the body of the king of Ai, and it remains to this day. Why did they take him down off of that spike? When the Persians would spike someone's head or their body, they would leave it up as a warning not to do that again. In fact, Vlad the Impaler from Wallachia, the original Dracula, he would spike thousands of men's bodies and leave them laying in the sun to warn anybody who would oppose him, if you oppose me, I will kill you and I will leave your body for the birds to eat. There was a real Dracula. Great general, a great commander, also a bloodthirsty lunatic. But why did they take his body down? I'll tell you why. Deuteronomy 21, 22 and 23. Can you guys find Deuteronomy 21, 22 and 23 for me? I forgot to give them these ahead of time, so they're having to do this on the fly. Deuteronomy 21, 22 and 23. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, you spike his body, his body shall not remain all night on that tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. Meaning, it was God's curse that put him on that, because he had done a crime that God felt worthy of death than that way. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. To leave him there would not just defile him, it would defile the, the promised land. So he did have to die for what he had done, but his body had to be buried the same day. To this day, a proper Jewish funeral happens the day someone dies. Did you know that? Jews typically don't embalm. The body is taken, the body is coffined, the body is buried before sunset. That's Jewish tradition. So they still hold to this today. They don't let the body lay around. They get it in the ground so that the land is not defiled. That means that sometimes when your life, you go through those hard times, you go through those things that you need to get rid of, when you get rid of them, get rid of them completely. I know people that have come to Christ and they burn all of their occult magazines. They burn all their occult movies. They burn all the things in their life that were not pleasing to God. Can you imagine what would happen if some of the women in Hollywood got saved? The bonfire of their clothing? The bonfire of their idols? Do you burn diamonds? I don't think so. Think about that. If we got rid of and destroyed everything that reminded us of what we were so that we were free to be what we were to become. God said, don't defile my land with blood left out overnight. Bury the person. Even if they've done something so terrible, put them in the ground. We need to put our sins to bed. Bury them and not even look back at them again. Joshua 8, 30-35, and we're done. So we looked at this already and we said, you know what? It's a new day and it's a fresh plan. Then that new day also requires a fresh victory, right? And they had their victory over Ai. So finally, a new day requires a fresh commitment. A fresh commitment to the Lord. This was important. I was going to do this as a separate sermon, but I decided to include it because it just made more sense. Verse 30. At that time, Joshua built an altar on Mount Ebal. Now, guys, Mount Ebal is 30 miles away from the battle scene. They're at Gilgal down by the river. 
Ebal is 30 miles up. They went a long way to build this altar, so this must have been very important. They had just fought a battle, and they traveled 30 miles past other fortified cities just to get to where this site was. Joshua built an altar on Mount Ebal to the Lord, the God of Israel, just as Moses, the Lord's servant, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool has been used, so it was natural. Then they offered burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings on it. There on the stones, Joshua copied the law of Moses, which he had written in the presence of Israel. Important. At this time, at this victory, right after a defeat, right after a horrible defeat, they have this great victory that God gives them. How does he commemorate it? He writes the law of Moses in a public place so that all Israel can see what the law of God really is. That's how we honor the Lord. After we've come back from sin, after we've recovered, we go back to the law. because That's what sets us free, the law of Jesus Christ. He copied the law of Moses, probably just the Ten Commandments on those stones. All Israel, foreigner and citizen alike, with their elders, officers, and judges stood on either side of the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, facing the Levitical priests who carried it. So the priests are standing in the bottom of a valley, and the priests are lined up on the sides of the Ark of the Covenant. Now there's two, there's two mountains there. So you have part of Israel on this side and part of Israel on that side. As Moses, the Lord's servant, had commanded earlier, half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim. You know about that from the Samaritans later in the New Testament. And half of them were in front of Mount Ebal. Could you see that? It's like a giant Super Bowl stadium. You know, you have God in the center, you have the priests on the side, and you have the two giant congregations facing each other on opposite mountains. I think that's pretty cool. And uh, in front of that, to bless the people of Israel. Afterwards, Joshua read aloud all the words of the law, the blessings as well as the curses, according to all that is written in the book of Moses. Now, this is cool. The Jewish rabbis, they record a little more information. Since it's not in the Bible, we can't take it as gospel, but we can listen to what they say. They said that what happened is, here was the Ark of the Covenant. Here was God's presence. The priests were on either side. Then Joshua would read all the words of the Lord, and when he would read a blessing, all the people on Mount Ebal would say, Amen! And when he read the curses, all the people on Mount Gerizim, Amen! And the amens echoed back and forth off of the mountains, so that this valley rang with the praises of God. They had won a wonderful victory, now they erect a place to sacrifice to God, and they commemorate it with the praises of the Lord ringing off the sides of the mountains. What a great scene. What a great way to commemorate a victory that God has brought in your life. If God is bringing victory into your life, don't forget to let praises ring from your lips for the victory he has given you. That is so important. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read before the entire assembly of Israel, including the women, the little children, and the foreigners who were with them. You guys do remember, right? There were other people that left Egypt besides the Israelites. There were a lot of slaves that were freed that night. And they were allowed to travel with the Israelites. They even stayed the 40 years in the wilderness as long as they became believers in Yahweh God. 
So there were Israelites and non-Israelites there that day praising him. Remember, a lot of slaves got cut free from Egypt because of the death of the firstborn. So there were foreigners among the people of Israel, even though now their men had been circumcised and they were worshipers of Yahweh. The first international congregation, room right there in the Holy Land. Fantastic. Joshua reminded them of who set them free and what he had done. And he took them all the way back to their freedom from Egypt. All these people from all these nations worshiping God, just like at GGCF. Amen? So, how does your morning look now? How does your morning look now? Do you feel today a fresh call to the work of the kingdom of God? We, we said that we need a fresh call. We need a fresh vision, a fresh plan every day. And God's work is new every morning. Amen? That, that power, that strength is new every day. The defeats of yesterday are behind you. If you failed yesterday, confess it to God and move on. But don't stay in your defeat. Press on to the victory of the next day, of the next morning. Now, do you want to see those fresh victories over worry, over doubt, over sins in your life? If you want that, you have to want that and cry out to God for it. See, to win that victory, you need a fresh encounter with the God who led Joshua and Israel that day. And that encounter is found in time spent learning and following God's plan, which refreshes every morning. If you wake up tired in the morning, spend 10 minutes with the Lord in prayer, in Bible reading, in preparation. Now, the young professionals, they have assigned Bible readings every morning. The new Bible study in Durham has Bible readings every day. So they're going to have a fresh encounter with God every day because they're doing their readings. But we all need that time every morning to be fresh. Because guess what? If you go to bed at 4 in the morning and wake up at 6 a.m. every day, what's going to happen very soon? You're going to die or go psychotic because you can't live on two hours of sleep. If you eat a chicken dinner tonight, but you don't eat again till next Sunday night, what's going to happen? You're going to look ugly because you're going to get too skinny. You could be all bones and stuff. It'd be terrible. Nobody likes that skinny. You've got to have some meat on you. You see, none of us would starve ourselves by eating once a week. So why do we starve our spirit by eating once every Sunday morning? Or maybe not even then. Maybe you've been sitting there the whole time on your phone and you've been following sports or something. Maybe you're sitting there, you're doing your planning for the week. If you did that today, I forgive you for taking up with God. He may have a different opinion about that. Because you're in his house for a reason. And that reason is to become stronger for the week ahead. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the day. Father, I thank you that you have told me that even if I fail, even if I fail my congregation, even if I fail to do what I should do, God, you can forgive me. You can restore me. You can put a new plan before me. You can renew those victories so that I can, I can look forward to it. And God, when I do have victory, I can praise you. I can build an altar before you to your goodness. I can put a marker in my life and say, on this day, the Lord did this for me. And God, if there's a person here today who does not have a marker of victory in their life because they have never started the walk with Jesus Christ, Father God, today make yourself real to them. Make yourself so real that they're going to want to know you. 
They're going to want to be rightly related to you. They're going to want to have victories. They're going to want to be able to go through their city and eliminate the sins of the past, get rid of the abiding sins, the anger, the jealousy, the frustration, the, the bitterness, the sense of defeat, the sense of always being worried and always being tense. God, help us to get those sins out of our life and lay ourselves before your perfect plan. And Father, we know that you won't take us one day early or one day late, but God, help us to redeem every day you give us until you do take us home. Father, all this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.